good evening, good evening. I think what we'll do this uh, tonight is uh, do some requests, some song requests. So um, anybody that... Uh... <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. She, she said hold the fort, okay. We'll take a couple requests. Yes, ma'am, you have something you'd like to say? Constantly abiding, okay, sounds good. And then, all right, Brother Robert, 209. Is that a random number, or do you know what song it is? I'm kidding, bro. What was it? Grace greater than our sins. Right, no, no bingo. No, we're not going to holler bingo. Uh, all right, 10, do I hear 11? 11, do I hear 12? No, that's... Uh, okay, let's start with... Uh, uh, let's start with constantly abiding. Let's start with constantly abiding. That is 478. Is that it? Okay, 478. Constantly abiding. Let's go ahead and stand and sing. We've got a few songs here. We'll sing constantly abiding. Then we'll sing hold the fort and grace greater than our sins. It's a blessing to be in church tonight. Y'all ready to sing a little bit here tonight? Hopefully you had a coffee or a nap, one or the other. Good to have you back in church and we'll sing here on the first. Ready? There's a peace in my heart that the world never is one of the biggest problems that they're facing these days. Loneliness. Isn't that amazing? Um, older folks, you think about how connected the young, uh, young people are, more connected than they've ever been before, yet lonelier than they've ever been before. Um, that's what folks are facing. And uh, the truth of the matter is you face that loneliness, that tug of loneliness there. It may be the, the Lord 
uh, calling you to come come apart and pray a little bit and spend some time with him a little bit and know that you're never alone. Um, no matter how lonely you feel, you're never alone with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have someone you can talk to and he constantly abides with you there. Let's sing that third verse, this treasure I have in a temple of clay. I'm on the third now. Hold the Fort, which I had I had the song here, but I'm not sure the number. That is, okay, 409. Page 409 is Hold the Fort. Amen. Now you may ask, some of you may wonder why I call on Brother Coker so much but to pray. Say, well, why doesn't he call on some other people to pray here? I go by, um, I just look out and pick the best looking person in the congregation. And that's, uh, that's, that's how I pick that up. So... Has nothing to do if it's. I'm sorry. It has nothing to do with anything else. Just, uh, just go by that. To be very honest, the reason is I do look up um, tremendously to Brother Coker and the Coker clan over there, um, driving so far so faithfully for a long time, and uh, I, you know, I, I respect that a lot. So um, I, I appreciate it when, you, when I get a chance to hear you pray, Brother Coker. All right, let's go ahead and sing page 409. You are good looking, though. We all know that. Um, page 409. We'll sing. Hold the fort. <laughs> Amen. All right, on the first now. Thank you. 
to see that second verse. See the mighty host of Nancy. I'm a second now.
seated and thank you for the requests tonight. <coughs> and we have got our specialist going to come and sing for us now. I know is it's good to be saved. up in front of you and 
singing songs about Jesus. Can you imagine how un unmasculine that might be to some people? That takes that takes real courage, man. And uh, if you can't face a church crowd, you ain't gonna face the lions out there in the world. And um, but the, these folks here, they're they have your best interest at heart. There may be one or two exceptions, but uh, they're behind you. I'll let you decide which ones are the exceptions. <laughs> but uh, I, the, you folks are some of the most gracious people I've ever met. Uh, I want to tell you this. Brother Donovan wrote me a letter, but he's also called me. And uh, he and his wife were uh, literally overwhelmed at uh, the offering that you uh, gave them to take care of them. Um, can you stutter step that for just a second? I just don't want to put his business out. ministered to him so not just that but your kindness to him now for brother donovan to say your kindness to him he's not he's not that uh what you would maybe know as as that personable but uh he really appreciated how you treated him and his wife both and that's complimentary to you i appreciate your attendance i appreciate you being here i think more than anything i appreciate your response and uh, I believe the Lord gave him what we needed, and I believe it was a tremendous help, and so we're good to go. My off, I'm, uh, how about now? We good now? Sorry about that. We good? All right. Take your Bible, if you will, please. <clears throat> and if you'd like to, you can uh, stand for this. I'm going to move right on into the last two judgments that we had here, and then I'm going to move into the mysteries and just move into that as quickly as possible. Come to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Now, this, is, this should be something that may be a little bit of a shock to some of you. But when you're on the, the right side of things and you become the gold standard by which other individuals are there, so the Lord will be doing the judgment. But in a sense, if you can imagine, remember the old preacher when he would draw a picture of the great white throne judgment? You remember that? And remember the old preacher would have a guy brought in there and then everybody, and you'd see this group of individuals, they all looked alike behind them and they're all pointing at the same individual. Well, that'll be you. Uh, Jesus Christ will be there on the throne and he'll be the one doing the judging, but you'll be on his side. You'll be on his back. You'll make sure that, uh, that you're there to see what happens and to transpire because you're saved. And because of that, you're his bride. And so you're right there behind him. And in that judgment at the great white throne that we've already talked about, we've already talked about the judgment of Israel, the judgment of nations and those things. Uh, then what happens is that great white throne judgment after everybody else is judged, you're going to have part in judging the devil and the angels. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? 
Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? How about that? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you yet unworthy? Are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Brothers, oh, he's not in here. Uh, Brother Russell, you pray, would you please? Heavenly Father, Lord, it sure is good to be back in church this afternoon. And Lord, thank you for a church that has the doors open. Amen. And Lord, the people that want to come and be, uh, yes. be part of it, be gathered together, like-minded, and not of, uh, not of ourselves, Lord, but it's all about you. Yes. And Lord, thank you for the man that you've given us, and thank you for the hymn books, and thank you for the book. Amen. And God, I pray that we can stand on these words and these promises. God, I pray you be on your man. God, I pray you give him the strength, the liberty, and the authority and power to preach and to teach tonight. And I pray that you'd open up my ears as well as the congregation and our hearts. God, and I pray that you'd help us be with the people who can't be here that need ministering to. God, in the only way that you could do it, God, I pray that you might meet their need. And I pray you get the glory through it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, the thing you want to think about this is, is if you, if you pause or you ponder, you think about... Hey, Rain, good to see you. I didn't see you this morning. Glad to see you back. Hope you're feeling okay. Hey, boy, how you doing? You like it up there? Don't get comfortable sitting up there. Balcony's a good place to backslide. Make Mama bring you and put you on the front row. <laughs> He's waiting to see if we get that little uh, uh, slide from the airlines, you know, on there so you can pull the slide and slide all the way to the altar. That's a, I think we should have one of those just at least once. That'd be fun to do. But what you have to recognize is this, ladies and gentlemen, when this thing gets over and done with, it's so much more than just what's going on in the world around you. God's already looking way out in eternity. And you know what he said? He said, you saints are going to judge the world. The saints that are here, the individuals that have done right. Just not tribulation saints and not just Old Testament saints. You're saints. You're called a saint. Now, I know you don't feel much like a saint sometimes and you probably look at other people and don't think they're saints. But God sees you as a saint. You ever get down on yourself, recognize the Lord sees you as washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. He looks at you through that red lens. And when you look, the devil goes up there and he says, did you see him? Did you see her? Did you see what they did? Did you see what they said? I realize I'm kind of hard on you and that kind of stuff. When the Lord looks over there, he sees what's going on down there. And the devil says, did you see Peacock down there? And the Lord said, yeah, I see him down there. He said, well, did you see he did that and the other? He said, I don't know. He looks pretty good to me. He looks pretty clean. The devil said, there's no way he's clean. And the Lord said, you don't see him from my vantage point. I'm already seeing the finished work up here. Now, folks, what you've got to recognize is, is God said it's finished, and so it's finished. Now, he's working on your fellowship, and he's working on trying to get you to amount to something for him. But take a little pressure off yourself every now and then, and feel good about a decision you made. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you fixed that thing, and the Lord said, you know what? I think so much of the decision that you made to trust me, I'm going to have you judge the world. My goodness, man. I mean, that's overwhelming enough. And then he said, don't you know that we shall judge angels? What angel? Every angel that's ever fallen. Every angel that has lifted his foot up against the Lord. Every angel that has ever lifted up his head against the Lord. Every angel that followed after the devil and his demonic uh, conspiracy to come against the Lord. When I will ascend and I will be like the Most High and I'll put my throne above his throne. And I'll be this and I'll be that and so on and so forth. The Lord says, I'm going to leave that in judgment in the, in the hands of my saints. Yes. 
say, how could I ever judge him? Well, by that time, you'll have the mind of Christ. You'll judge correctly. And you'll be able to sit up there and look at that thing and say, what authority you judge based on his authority? It's not your authority. It's under him. Don't be so hard on yourself sometimes. The Lord thinks so much of you. He's going to let you judge the most unusual creation that you've ever seen in your life. An angel is created with supernatural ability and supernatural power. An angel has unbelievable uh, intellect and has the ability to know about things that have gone on in the life hereafter. They've seen people come and go, but they've been alive for ages and so on and so forth. And they fell. And you're finite. You know what he said? I'm going to put you to judge them. Well, you know what I better do? I better start boning up for the test. I better make sure that when I get ready to judge, I can judge him with scripture because he's not going to care about my opinion. So you want to recognize that that's one of the judgments that takes place. Turn to Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation chapter number 20. You're going to be present when the devil is judged in the final judgment. Now I get this question quite a bit. What's going to happen after the great white throne? Well, heaven and earth pass away and there's no more sea and I beheld the throne and it's coming down from uh, God, or the, the uh, New Jerusalem, from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And the Lord sets up a brand new kingdom that's there. And in that kingdom right there, because the devil will not be present, you don't have to worry about sin ever being there anymore. You don't ever have to worry about temptation anymore. You don't ever have to worry about doing things the wrong way, the wrong time, the wrong place, all those other kind of things. You say, why? It'll be eradicated. It'll be done away with. As a matter of fact, children that are born during that time, they'll be born children to sinless parents. The bloodline will be cleansed. The physical children that are born down here after the millennium, after the great white throne judgment is done, when those parents take a bite of the tree of the fruit off the tree of life, it purifies their blood and they now are eternal beings and they begot eternal children. And they take on the attributes of their eternal parents. You say, what happens? There's no sin to be tempted with. People say on a regular basis, you say, well, why did the Lord put the tree in the garden? The Lord put the tree in the garden to give you free will. Well, well what about an eternity? He's already done it every way it can go through and goes through 7,000 years. And at the end of that time, there's nothing else less to be said, nothing else, less to be, nothing else left to be done. And what the Lord will do is to step in and say, okay, I fixed everything now and sin's eradicated. You don't have to worry about it. Where's the devil going to be? Revelation 20.10, read it. Death and hell are cast in a lake of fire, and guess where the devil goes? Into the lake of fire. How long does he stay there? Till God dies. Amen. You don't ever have to worry about him rearing his ugly head again. Amen. You know an amazing thing to me about the devil? I've often wondered about this. As smart as he is, as wise as he is, he's an arrogant old fool if you ever think about it. I mean, imagine this. Would you, would you do what the devil does and walk up to the Lord in the wilderness and try to tempt the Lord? But he thinks he can. He certainly doesn't back off in tempting us, does he? I mean, he's on your back pretty regularly, isn't he? You know what he knows? He knows that book better than you and I know that book. He was around when that book was written. He watched what happened and how that book came into being. He knows that book. Backwards, forward, sideways, and upside down. Well, if he read it, then can you ask, answer me this question? He sees his demise in the book. Why does he go against it? Why doesn't he repent? I mean, if he believes what the Bible says, ah, there's the problem. He believes he can rewrite it. 
That's the problem you deal with nowadays, ladies and gentlemen. When an individual comes in, you sit down and you show them the ABCs of salvation and they believe they can rewrite history. I see what the Bible says. You believe the Bible? I believe what the Bible says. You believe people go to hell? I believe they go to hell. I just don't believe I'll go to hell. I don't believe a loving God would put somebody like me in hell. Well, he won't. He'll put you there because you made that choice. Well, I, I understand what it says. The problem is you think you can change history. You think you can change the future. I can change my past and I can... No, you can't. Not without a blood transfusion. You have to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ in order for you to be saved. How does that happen? You're not even entitled to salvation until you repent. What is repentance? I've got to turn around. I have to stop going this way and I've got to go this way. It can't be that simple. Why would somebody that died for you make it hard for you to make it any other way? The turning doesn't save you. Well, this works for salvation. No, it's not. It's turning around and facing the direction I want to go. It's the most ridiculous thing. These guys get all, you'd think you lost your salvation. Well, I must have worked for salvation because I repented and I confessed and I believed and I did that. No, stop. You repented. It means you turned around. You changed your mind. You run the references on repentance throughout the Old Testament, you'll find God repenting. If repentance is always having to do with uh, turning from sin, how do you have God repenting? It repented, the Lord made him. It repented, the Lord. They repented, the Lord. It repented, the Lord. What does that mean? That means he changed his mind. He was fixing to wipe them all out, and he changed his mind. The biblical word is he repented. You don't have to go to Hebrew text or a Greek text or Chaldean or Aramaic. You don't have to do any of that stuff. It just means he decided not to do what he was going to do. Well, did you decide you didn't want to go to hell? Well, you repented. You say, what is that? People say repentance means confession. They're not even spelled the same. Repentance isn't confession. Repentance is, is I don't want to go to hell. I'm on the highway to hell. I'm with ACDC. I'm singing the song. Sorry I planted that song in some of your minds and now you're singing it in yourself. And don't tell me you're not. And so now all of a sudden you're there. You know what you say? I'm on the wrong road. I want to get off the road. What do you got to do? Amen. So you're working your way to heaven? No, I just need to go in a different direction. Now what do I do? I got to admit I'm, I'm a what? I'm a sinner. Now you're starting to get there, but you're not there yet. Believe Jesus Christ died, buried, rose again for what? My sins. And confess my sins to get saved to the priest in the box. Hail Mary's, our father's. No. Confess Jesus Christ as my Savior. There's nothing in there about confessing all your sins. You couldn't name them anyway. I was talking this morning to you a little bit about in that message. You count your many blessings, name them one by one. It will surprise you what the Lord has done. An individual said to me, he said, well, you have to confess your sins. I said, well, good luck with that. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, there's a a mental lapse when it comes to that. And you kind of get selective. You won't confess every sin. You'll confess the sins that you're not guilty of, the ones that other people are doing, but you won't confess those sins of envy and greed and covetousness. and uh, You won't confess that. You'll say, well, I don't smoke and drink and cuss and chew. and I, That's kid stuff, man. How about the sins of the Spirit? You know what I'd rather do? Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you can forgive me of my sins and I'm confessing you as my Savior. He knew better than to ask you to, to confess all of your sins for salvation. Man, good night. You talk about a marathon. I mean, at least for me. 
The more I read the Bible, I know why some of you don't read the Bible besides just being lazy. I know why you don't read the Bible because you read it long enough sooner or later. You know what happened? That stuff jumps off the page and he comes out there with a finger and he comes in. It's just the Holy Spirit. I'm in John chapter six there where he says to convict the world of sin. You know what he does? He comes out and he says, thou art the man, boy. You're the one that did it. I know what happens. Think about this. When you get in a backslidden condition, I bet you the Bible collects dust. I'm just guessing it does. You say, why? Man, we can't stand that judgment of ourselves. You say, what does the Bible do? It makes me recognize I'm going to give an account to somebody that's greater than me. The Bible's good for me. I don't like medicine. I really don't. But I realize that no matter how bad it tastes, sometimes it does me a lot of good. You ever get one of them big old horse pills they give you like in a Z-Pack thing? You get sick enough, you wind up taking the thing. And before you can get it down in that glycerin capsule or whatever it is, it gets stuck. Or if it's a tablet, it gets kind of chalky and you already got kind of a dry mouth and you're trying to get it back and you can't quite get it back and it gets stuck. Man, you never tasted something so but You think your tongue's going to rot out of your head. And then you drink water and you can't get that thing out of you. You say, well, why do you go through all that kind of stuff? And sometimes it tears up your intestines and that kind of a deal. Why do you take that stuff? Because I know it might taste bad, but it make me well. I see the Bible like that sometimes. It's not always comfort for me. Sometimes the comfort I get out of it is conviction. I know somebody smarter than me wrote the Bible. And ladies and gentlemen, it's not just because I can see all these deep things in there. I know God knows human nature when I read that Bible. But more importantly, I know God knows me. God knows exactly what, pay, what, what verses to jump off the page and hit me with. Now, when that judgment comes along for the devil, the devil will come up there. The old preacher used to say it the best, better than I've ever heard anybody else say it. That old preacher would say the devil will come in there. After everything else is said and done, he'll call the devil up there and say, okay, give an account. And the devil, however long it's going to take him, he can take however long he wants to take. And eventually, you know what the Lord's going to say? Okay, now bow your head and bend your knee and confess that I am Jesus Christ, the glory of God the Father. And after he does, he's going to go, get out. And you know what heaven's going to do? Heaven is going to rejoice knowing that they'll never be bothered by him anymore. Now, I, I'm, I'm telling you right now, man, I look forward to that day. You say, well, you're just vengeful. It's not vengeful at all. I've seen the devil destroy more people than he's given credit for. I've seen the devil destroy more Christians. In the, I'm telling you, the devil's very evil. I can't wait to see him bound up and cast aside. I'll applaud. Thank you, Lord. I sure am grateful that you banished my enemy. I'm glad you took care of him. I appreciate what you did for him, not just at Calvary, but now I don't have to ever worry about him ever again. You don't have to worry about that anymore. You ever thought about that? You ever thought how wonderful it would be to be on the right side of that thing and to finally see the one that has created more havocs in 7,000 years than anything or anybody put together, all the nations put together, every wicked ruler put together and all that. The individual responsible for that is finally going to be brought into judgment and you're all going to stand there and watch it. You know what he's going to do? He's going to banish him from that point forward into the lake of fire. And ask me whether or not they think he'll suffer. I, I hate to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, but I actually believe they'll be suffering there. I think the Lord will have to will. I don't think he has to. He doesn't have to do anything. I can't give you scripture for this, but it makes sense to me that if the devil was going to be banished to hell, and he didn't suffer for being in hell. Then what would be the price he has to pay for messing up mankind since Genesis three? And since before Genesis three, you ever think about that? Everybody else has to suffer for following him. Well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Well, you're just speculating now. I am speculating. 
But ladies and gentlemen, if he has an eternal body, what about the angels? What are they going to do? I think they're suffering. I think it's more than just captivity. I think God will fix something in there and say, you're the responsible, uh, responsible party. Uh, maybe he turns all the people that he damned to hell, maybe he turns all them loose on him for a couple thousand years. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't design what that is. But it makes sense to me that he wouldn't go down there and be a ruler down there in hell and having the time of his life when everybody else is in torment. I don't think that the, devil, that the Lord has to have the devil in place in hell to torment people that are in hell. You don't see that in Luke chapter number 15 there when he says a rich man in hell lifted up his eyes and being tormented in the flames. He said, have Lazarus come dip his uh, 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 finger in the water and come cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Doesn't say anything about the devil bothering. The flames are burning him. Well, why shouldn't the devil burn? Y'all are so nice, man. You want to be nice to the devil. I don't want to be nice to the devil. I don't. Well, preacher, you should be merciful. Why? When's he ever been merciful to you? When's he ever cut you one bit of slack at all? Hadn't he called you to cause you to think the wrong thing about people? Hadn't he torn up marriages and torn up families and torn up kids? And torn, I mean, where, where's, where's the mercy coming? Where's he showing you mercy? I think you ought to get thousands of years and upon thousands of years, I think you ought to reap what he sows. I, that's what I think about it. You say, well, man, I wouldn't want to come in front of you. I, I'm, I think I could be fair. I think it's fair. I think it's just. I think it's the right thing to do. All right, take your Bible, if you will, please. That's your, that's your judgment. There's seven of them that I gave you, and those things are important for you to know and to understand. Now, there's a thing in the Bible called seven mysteries. Come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. And I'll watch my time. I'm, I, uh, I told my wife I'm going to try to get better about letting you all out on time. You folks don't realize what it's like to be your pastor. Uh, you're, you're the easiest bunch of people on the face of the earth to preach to. You're like little teeth and eyeballs with little bandanas around your throats. And you've got little knives and forks in your hands. And you're like, you're always ready to eat. Rarely ever are you not that way. I don't care if Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You folks are just like, and I feel like I've, like I've only given you like a salad or an hors d'oeuvre if I go for like 20 or 30 minutes, which is what most people do. And y'all are like, hey, where's the main course here, old man? I mean, what was that? I mean, that wasn't even a good appetizer. That's how it is to be with y'all. I mean, I like it. You know what it does? It puts me under pressure. I feel like you're ring. Ask these guys the next time they get up here and preach what it's like to preach to y'all. You're, you're like, you better feed us or we'll eat you. <laughs> That's what you're like most of the time. Now, sometimes you've got a couple of, you know, ready, can't get out of here. You've got ants in their pants and that kind of a thing. But bees in their britches, I get that. But for the most part, that's how you are every service. Every service. You know, it's a strange thing to me. People go to a class, they go to college, and they get upset because the professor piles them up with stuff. Well, you're getting more than your money's worth. These good professors giving you, giving you your money's worth. We want it everywhere else. But here, you're not even paying for a service. You're just kind of like, we came here to eat, man. You better put it on the table. And that expectation's good. It drives me. I appreciate it. And you pray, you pray, and you prepare, and you're ready. And then you come in and plop down, and it's like, okay, keep me awake. Those boys told me yesterday, I'm getting ready to leave and I'm signing off and walking out and she's already gone and I'm heading out not far behind her to go down and get some uh, work done and stuff to get ready for this morning. And I'm getting ready to do it. And a couple of the fellows, I won't tell you who, but Brother Ernie, 
said, <laughs> I said, well, I said, I better go get some stuff ready to, you know, make sure he said, yeah, you better put something on the table. Keep me awake tomorrow. <laughs> That's a challenge. I mean, I've been working out here all day and smelling paint fumes all day. Of course, it wouldn't have took much today, man. If I'd have caught him yesterday, he'd been on them paint fumes, had his head in a paint can all day. I mean, he, the whole time he just kind of had this sort of... <laughs> Him and Brother Mike both, man. I mean, they're what? They didn't wear no mask. It's kind of like, you guys want a mask? <laughs> no, no, we're good, preacher. We're all right. We're, we're fine. That's a legal high. But I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, I could have said Mary had a little M yesterday and he'd have, he'd have shouted amen, right? <laughs> but those guys were saying, okay, preacher, you better keep me awake tomorrow. Amen. You say, well, you know, that's kind of harsh. No, it ain't. No, it ain't. That's a blessing, man. Amen. You realize what a privilege that is? Amen. Say, hey man, give me something. Give me something. I want to eat. I'll give you peanut butter and jelly and maybe a little more than that. Now these mysteries are important because it's part of a responsibility of a preacher. And these guys that are here that preach to you on a regular basis, their calling is the same as mine is when it comes to this. You're to be a good steward of the mysteries. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let a man account of us as the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. So if you're going to be a minister, that you're required to be found faithful and if you're going to be found faithful, then the requirement of that is, is that you're required to be responsible to be in control for the dispensing of the seven mysteries. The old preacher said a long time ago, come to 1 Timothy chapter number 3, no, make it, uh, let's see, let me start in 2 Timothy chapter 2 first. The old preacher said, he said, if preachers over the, over the years had been faithful to preach the mysteries, the church wouldn't be in the condition it's in. And if he said it, I, I believe it because he would know that. He has the experience to say something like that. Uh, a lot of times we preached this not too long ago. I think it was maybe four or five years ago. I went over all of these seven sevens and all that stuff with you. And we spent nearly seven or eight months through going through this stuff. And I went through that, but I thought to myself, you know what? Everything you need is confined in these mysteries. And he was right. If we would learn to just keep those things in front of you, it'd make you have a different perspective on what's going on. If a good steward, that means an individual that takes care of things, is responsible to do that as a good steward, I have a responsibility, and so do these other men in here that preach. They have a responsibility to make sure that thing's interlaced in their preaching. It's a commandment. It's a requirement of a minister. Some of you come from churches, you've never heard of a mystery in the first place other than reading a romance or something or a, whatever you call them, a, a, a book, a novel. You know anything? Mysteries all through the Bible. Seven of these mysteries, with the exception of one of them, that are revealed to the Apostle Paul. Why is that important? Because a lot of things, ladies and gentlemen, are not revealed until Paul. Nobody had them until Paul. God withheld them. There are some things that people claim that people knew in the Old Testament that they didn't even have the ability to know. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, one of these things I'm going to show you is it has to do with a gospel that was not revealed to anybody but the Apostle Paul? How could they know it in the Old Testament when it was a mystery and it wasn't revealed until the Apostle Paul came around? How could they know that? Looking forward to the cross, my foot. 
All right, look in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Let's just go over a couple of these things. And look, if you will, please, in verse number 2. Make it one. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that these things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So somebody that's faithful is somebody that's constantly teaching you the book. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. You say, why? There's nothing more important than the book. Now the verse I'm fixing to give you here is the greatest verse on the deity of Christ that's in your Bible. And everyone but the King James Bible has changed this right here and replaced it. Because why? Because it's the deity of Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 3, look in verse number 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What is the mystery of godliness? It's right in the passage. God manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. That's the deity of Jesus Christ. Why would you take the word God out of there and replace it with the word He? That could be anybody. That could be the devil. You could make him the morning star instead of the Lord. Make him the day star. So what he says to you there is first mystery. What is that? God manifest in the flesh. Can you explain that? That means God was all God, Jesus was all God, and the Holy Spirit was all God. What's the mystery of godliness? God manifest in the flesh. Came down here and dwelt in the body of a human being. It's a mystery, isn't it? You can be in a theophany in the Old Testament, but God walking around. If that's true, come to Colossians chapter number 1. If that's true, you know what that means? That means that Jesus Christ died for me. That means God died for me. Now, this is something they didn't have in the Old Testament. Colossians chapter number 1. Here's your second mystery. It's a mystery. It's a mystery to me. Now, I look down here at Brother Sam, Miss Tara. Look at Drina, Brother Larry, Brother Brad, Miss Pat. All you saved individuals in here. I look at you and I know if the Bible's right, Christ is in you and He's in me. I got over a hundred Christ in here tonight. He's in every one of you. How's that happen? Well, it's a mystery. Isn't it? But doesn't that, for just a moment, doesn't that kind of overwhelm you to think, you mean, you mean God that created me in the beginning was the Word, words with God, the Word was God, and by Him all things were made and all that. You mean that one's in, in me, He's in you. That's what He's going to tell you right here. Christ in you. That's a mystery. When you got saved, nobody in the Old Testament had Christ in them. It's something that you get. You're special. You always want to be special, right? Everybody wants to be special. Colossians chapter number 1. Uh, come, if you will, down to verse number, oh, let's see, 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of His glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles. Now He's going to tell you what it is. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Nobody had that in the Old Testament. Why do we get so benefited? You got five senses in you, the old preacher used to say. Why do you quote him so much? Because he's right. So quote good sources. And you go to a court and a lawyer cites uh, cases that have been settled to the Supreme Court as precedent. 
So what happens is I'm citing somebody that's right and proven right. There's no improving on it. All of us preach from Paul. He used to say this. He said, you got five senses, but when you got saved, you got a sixth sense. You say, what is that? You got a spiritual sense about you now. It's not the spirit of the man anymore. Now you got five senses and now you got him in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've thought about that sometimes. What do I make him see and what do I make him hear and what do I make him do all that? You got those two natures that are there. Two individuals, old nature and new nature. They're constantly fighting. I talked with a young lady not long ago and listened to her talk for just a little while and didn't take long to realize that one of the most difficult things in the world is fighting against yourself. That's exhausting. I should, but I shouldn't. I'm, I'm in a trap. I'm caught in, as Paul says, it's a straight betwixt two. And what winds up happening is, is you stay in a constant state of turmoil. Now, what some of you have a hard time with, ladies and gentlemen, is, is that you know what the flesh wants to do and you know what's right to do. And the conflict comes when you refuse to yield to what's right to do. There's a fight. Now, I know, I understand the black dog and the white dog. I get that. I know which one you feed the most winds up winning. But if you wind up feeding them both about equitably, you know what will wind up happening? Well, you'll be up all night long. Your bowels will be tore out of the frame. You'll be sick half the time. You'll have headaches all the time because you know what's right to do. But that flesh is ever present with you and fighting with you and battling with you. And the next thing you know, you're just completely exhausted and you don't even know why. You'd be looking to put a needle in your arm or something because you're just, you say, what is that? That's Christ in you saying, I'm not laying down and I'm not taking it. I'm not giving up that easy. I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to defend my pea patch. That's Christ in you. He's fighting for you. The real you, the right you. That's your flesh against your spirit. That's Galatians 5. The Bible said they war one against the other. So you cannot do the things that you would do. That's why you get, pardon me, that's why you get exhausted on a regular basis. Look in Ephesians 5. Now listen, don't, don't pull this carnal Christian stuff. Okay? You guys are Bible believers. I would say 90% of you in here know more Bible than most preachers and pastors in all of Duval County. I'm being serious. I'm even talking about kids in Sunday school classes. You know more Bible so you can't claim ignorance. You know what's right. And if you halfway try to do what's right, you know when the Holy Spirit says to you, uh, 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 now you know what's right to do there. Now you can grieve him, can't you? You can quench him, can't you? All right, well, if that's the case, then you have the power to staunch the third part of the Trinity. That's a lot of power. You say, what happened? That fight back and forth. Why don't you just surrender? Don't you tell your flesh, man, throw up the white flag. Give it up. You know what's right to do. I don't care what the Bible says. Okay, you're in trouble. You know what you just said to the Christ dwelling in you? I don't care what you say. Forget it being the book. That's his words. Just because he's not speaking those words audibly to you, he put them in writing. That's his words that you're saying no to. You're saying no to the one that created you. The one that when he got you saved, he came to dwell inside you and zipped himself inside and sealed himself in there. And when you're having that battle, you know what you're saying? He ain't going to tell me what to do. I don't care what the Bible says. I told you about that old cuss up there in the mountains. We went up there to that meeting and big meeting after everything was over with. They were having some 
major problems and difficulties and stuff like that. And I told that young man, big old man, about big as the door, young kid over there, played football. I think it was a linebacker there in Tennessee. And I said, hey, man, I said, do me a favor. I said, I left my Bible down there on the pew. Could you bring it up here? All these men sitting around here. And that old cuss, he puts his thumbs in his galluses. He said, you needn't worry about that. I said, you needn't worry about what? He said, bringing a Bible into the discussion. I said, Pop, that's where the problem is. You've left the Bible out of the discussion. That's why you're in the mess you're in. You say, what happened? We didn't make no hay. That church was sold and given over to a charismatic church and the church disbanded. What a blessing. You say, why? Because you were there? No, because you needn't worry about that. Well, is that your attitude toward God when He speaks to you? You think He's telling you to do something that you shouldn't do? Everything He tells you is right. We're just rebels by nature. But you're more worried about your reputation and you're more worried about surrendering to whoever you're arguing with than you are about surrendering to the Lord. You're not surrendering to who you're arguing with. You're surrendering to what God said. God said it, that settles it. I got to do what He says. Even if it means I lost the argument. Otherwise, you know what will happen? You'll never rebuild anything. You're going to stay stuck right there. And you start getting serious with God, you know what He's going to do? He's going to say, hey, you're way down over here now and you have no business being over there. Now you come right back down here to where we were and let's get started like it's supposed to be. You ain't going to do it. Because you're not as worried about the Lord as you're worried about your reputation. That's the one that saved you, bought you, and sealed himself in you. And your reputation, the more important than that, listen, you want to have some real faith? Why don't you let him rebuild you? Amen. You know what the Apostle Paul said? I had everything you could possibly have, and I was... I was wrong. I believe God used him. You know what Moses said? I was wrong. You know what David said? I was wrong. You know what Peter said? I was wrong. You know what God did? He used them. Otherwise, they wind up being like Demas. Diotrephes. Gone. Off. Who cares about Christ and me? I don't care. Some of you, ladies and gentlemen, you live as if all that matters is right here. It's eternity for him. He thinks in eternity. He doesn't think in the here and now. He knows that today's going to pass. Think about this for just a minute. Before Christmas time, around, oh, say Thanksgiving and all, I'll bet you had some worries and some concerns and some bothers. And, and now you probably can't even remember what you were so worried about. Didn't even amount to anything. But eternity matters. Christ in you, he's, you're carrying him around. That's that treasure in an earthen vessel. That's him you're carrying around. Man, that ought to make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. Now this passage here, he's talking about the Lord and his bride. Pick it up, if you will, please, in verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the what? Church. Church. 
Look in verse 29. No man ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the what? Look in verse number 25. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the and gave himself for it. Look down in verse number 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this call shall a man leave father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, you know what he said? He says, you become one flesh. You're spiritually joined together with him. Not physically yet. That'll happen when you get raptured out of here. But right now, you're seated with him right now in heavenly places. You're as good as up there. Your little nameplate's there at the supper table. That should be a blessing to you. You say, why? You're married. You're joined together. You say, well, what is that? Christ and the church. They didn't have that promise in the Old Testament. That's a mystery. Why? Nobody knew it before Paul. I mean, had they known it, the Lord said, if they'd have known these things I'm telling you right now, they wouldn't have crucified me, the Lord of glory. They would have never crucified me. They couldn't see it. They were looking for a military king to come in and overthrow Rome. Well, they got part of it right, but they got the timing wrong. Take your Bible and come over to Romans chapter number 11. Now, you want to be real careful with this one. Brother uh, Holland did a real good job going through Romans. And if you're in school, you'll get a real blessing out of Brother uh, Russell's teaching John and Brother uh, Holland teaches Romans and Brother uh, Sam teaches uh, Matthew. And those guys did an exemplary job on all of those books and give you all the details of that. And the school itself is worth any money that it would cost you to, to purchase it just for those three books alone. They're that good. You say, why? Those are books where you can get yourself in over your head and make a mess of things. Romans, is that in the New Testament somewhere? Yeah, there it is. And so uh, when he went through this thing, he tried to make it clear to you that the, the mystery he's fixing to show you here has to do with God not being done with the nation of Israel. Or what a friend of mine told me or mentioned this morning, what used to be called British Israelism, British Israelites. In other words, you're supposed to be the companion of the Jew and you're supposed to take over the world to let the Jew reign so you'll be on the right side of things uh, when the Lord comes back. Well, let me just tell you this, you're on the right side of things if you're saved. Amen. You need to worry about whether or not you get hung up in this, this foolishness. You get hung up in Calvinism and hyper-dispensationalism and this, uh, well, I got to be on the side of the Jew. You don't have to be on the side of a Jew to go to heaven. You get on the side of getting in Christ. Amen. But the mistake people make is, is to do what's called replacement theology that you've now taken the place of the Jew. No, you haven't. Amen, They're separate from you. Amen. You're the bride of Christ. Amen. They're Israel. They're treated differently. God's all done with the Jew. That's anti-Semites. There's individuals that are anti-Semitic. They don't want you having anything to do with the nation of Israel. Just because you profess Israel doesn't mean you're a saved individual. You could just be being politically correct. Doesn't have anything to do with that. Not in this age. In the millennial, I mean, in tribulation, it'll matter. I showed you that this morning. But what I'm fixing to show you here is, is the lie that's being taught that God's done with Israel and God replaced Israel with the church. He didn't replace anybody. He parenthetically allowed you a chance to get in. Amen, nothing more, nothing less. You didn't replace anybody. Amen. You want to really feel good about yourself? He chose to go to the Gentile to provoke his people to jealousy. He's using you. Yep, sir. Amen. Thank you. I can stand that. I appreciate it. I'll take it. Amen. You say, what am I, a dog? Bow wow. Amen. 
So when he turned to the, you know, you filthy dog and all that kind of stuff. Woo, woo, woo. That's me. But to think for a moment that you've replaced Israel, you're smoking crack, you need to put the pipe down. You be careful about that stuff. Politicians or anybody else get on that train and anti-Israel. You be careful about that stuff. You say, why? God's not done with Israel yet. Look in Romans chapter number 11, verse number, I believe it'll be down toward the end, the bottom of that page there, 25. Talking about the olive tree and all that other kind of stuff grafted into the olive tree. Uh, individual, I don't, I don't know if you know this or not. If you take an apple branch and put it onto a pear tree, it still bears pears. You don't change the tree by putting a branch on it. You may get a hybrid, but you don't change the tree. Still bears pears. Verse 25, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this what? Mystery. Paul's talking to who? Jews. It's not in the Old Testament. Watch. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened unto Israel. Period. No, no period. Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Look in verse number 26. And so that all Israel shall be saved. When will that be? That's national Israel. That's God making a time to give them an opportunity that after the millennial kingdom, they get an opportunity. Not resurrecting people like the man in Texas teaches and then everybody that's in hell right now, they get another chance just because they're a Jew. That's hogwash. You think Dathan and Abiram are coming out of the pit and all those that appertain unto them and the Lord's going to go, okay, well, because you're a Jew, I'm going to give you another chance. Well, if you roasted in hell a few thousand years, don't you think you'd choose right? Amen. I believe I would. I think I could probably last 15 seconds and go, okay, made the wrong decision. Can I get a do-over? Notice what happens here. The Bible says, There shall come out of the Son a deliverer and shall turn the ungodliness from Jacob, my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. That has to do with all the way out there past the millennium. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they're beloved for the Father's sake. God still loves them. There's no replacement theology. You're not a spiritual Jew. You haven't replaced Israel. Don't let anybody tell you that. Uh, if my people which are called by my name shall turn from their sins and humble themselves and, and so on and so forth, I'll do this and that and the other. My people, you're not his people. You're his bride. What you have to recognize is, is this idea that you've replaced the church. That's a lie. That's somebody that's not studying. Or that's somebody that is so convinced in their own mind that somebody else and their hate and disposition toward an individual is so great that they won't teach the truth because they think he's the one that came up with the truth. And so they starve a congregation of people because they don't want to be affiliated with somebody that's been married more than once. They're defrauding a congregation. They're defrauding people. You say, what are they doing? They're not telling them the whole truth. They're giving them bits and pieces. Oh, well, I never lied to them, but you didn't tell them the whole thing. You're required to give the whole counsel. And the whole counsel is, don't get all puffed up and think you're something big. The Lord isn't done with the nation of Israel. Well, they're under attack and this is going to happen and so on and so forth. I didn't say they wouldn't be in tribulation, but he's not done with them. All right, take your Bible, if you will, and come to Revelation 17. Just a couple more. Can you bear with me? I'd like to get through this before Wednesday night. Revelation chapter number 17. <clears throat> I want to ask you a question, and it is hypothetical in this sense. 
How is it, ladies and gentlemen, that Revelation wasn't given until John, until somewhere around 90 A.D., and this stuff I'm fixing to show you right now, they wouldn't know anything about that in the Old Testament because it, it's a mystery. It's a mystery to John. And the mystery is a city. And it refers to something else that even though you can take this now, put it on his glasses and look back and you can see that, they didn't know anything about it. You say, why? It was a mystery. God had yet to reveal it. Which reminds me to say this, if God held back all of these things right here, could I ask you a question? How many things you think he's still holding back? I mean, if he held that back from his chosen people, how many things you think he's holding back now? You think you got all the revelation that's in the Bible? Man, I'm still digging out the practical stuff. When I read the Bible, I don't find all this deep stuff and, you know, flying rolls and all that other kind of deal. And that kind of, I find out stuff about me and I'm thinking, man, if he'd have dumped all that stuff on me 20 years ago, it'd have crushed me like an egg under a giant's heel. I couldn't have handled it. But now he brings up little things and he says, what about that? Aren't you glad God's not done with you yet? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, sometimes don't you just feel horrible because the Lord points something out and you realize, man, I've done some bad things and I've treated some people the wrong way. And Lord, why'd you wait till now to tell me about that? Because it would have snapped you if he told you at the wrong time. Nobody in here is done yet. You know when you're done? When we look at you laying in the box. You're done. Stick a fork in you. But until then, God's working on every one of us, including the preacher. He's not done with us. You're looking at an imperfect, uncomplete or incomplete, excuse me, the wrong English there, incomplete group of people. We all got problems. Now, you might just remember that when you're dealing with people. You're dealing with imperfection, not perfection. We're messed up. Look at this thing here called the mystery right here. Notice, come down to verse number 5, 17.5. You all know about this one. Upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of all the earth. Now, that's a city. Look in verse 18. The woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now that's the blood of the martyrs there if you read that in verse number 6 in that passage. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs and Jesus and I, uh, martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. I marveled, not in the sense that admired her like uh, appreciated her. Uh, I marveled at the damage she'd done. Who is it? It's a city. The colors are there, scarlet and purple and the golden chalice and all that. Well, that's Rome. But preacher, that's all changed now. It's the Muslims. It's this and that and the other. It's the communists. It's the, it's the Nazis. It's the crusade. No, it's not. It's Rome. It's a city sitting upon seven hills. Now, if he's right about all these other mysteries, what might you think he's wrong about that one? Well, preacher, what that is, is that he's just speaking spiritually, paradoxically. He's just trying to say to you, no, he's not. He's talking about a literal city. You say, well, what's going to happen? That's the persecutor of the church, according to that. That's what he said. I didn't say they weren't good people. I said the Lord said that organization right there is guilty of the blood of the saints. Your forefathers, they drank their blood. And the Lord said she's behind the whole thing. Later on, she's referred to as Jezebel. Let me give you one more. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians.
And I appreciate your attention tonight. To me, these things are interesting. And even though we kind of run over them pretty quick, you know, that Bible says is that that woman that sits upon the beast and rides the beast, uh, she's what the Bible refers to as a whore. That means that she'll sell herself for money. Well, the Vatican has its own city. It has its own government and has its own gold reserves and has all the money in the world. They're not told what to do by anybody, even though they're on another state's land. They're an entity all to themselves. It's like Disney World down in Orlando. You say, what is that? Their own government. You're not going to tell us what to do. We take our own taxes. We pay our own bills. We do all these other kind of things and that kind of thing. We're not part of you. Rome is completely separate. If they're supposed to be about the people, how come they're a separate entity from the people? No Baptist church is supposed to be that way. Why is Rome that way? They have their own army. And we want to grab a hold of that. Don't go out and tell every Catholic that you're connected with the horror of Revelation. But in the old days, Martin Luther and the rest of them, they knew for a fact what they were reading was dealing with Rome. And they called the Pope the Antichrist. You people are too nice to do that. And you think a preacher that does that, see, there's, that's hate speech. No, truthful speech. That's what God says He's going to use and bring the demise of not just America, the world. And when that city falls, oh, how they weep and how they moan and how they cry. You say, why? Well, you surely you know who was behind a lot of the stuff during the Holocaust. Surely you've read that much? Surely? You surely you know Adolf Hitler was a Roman Catholic. Rudolf Hess, Roman Catholic. Gehring, Roman Catholic. Surely you know that. I mean, I'm talking wafer-eating, wine-drinking Roman Catholic. Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been 10 days since my last confession. What have you done, Hitler? Well, I overslept the other day and all that. You done anything else? Nah, nothing to speak of. Killed a few million Jews, but I mean, that's not sin. That's just ridding the world of vermin. Reckon what he thinks now. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. I'm withholding a lot of comments there. I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally poking you a little, trying to encourage you to read. Read. Look up history. You say, why? Ecclesiastes tells you this. That thing which shall be hath already been. You know what that means? That means that history repeats itself. If you want to know what's going to happen in the future, look at the past. I'm not a warmonger. But if you study it, you'll be surprised how many people get pulled into war. You don't have to go to Daniel and read about a bear and a lion and a tiger and an eagle and a, a griffin and a puma and a, a leopard and all that kind of stuff. Just look at history. Man's covetous by nature. Man, if you were just grateful that you were alive and breathing, why would you want somebody else's stuff? Why do you want to control somebody else's stuff? Leave them alone. The only reason you go in with humanitarian aid is for one reason. You're buying them off. And you expect them to support you in your next war. And you'll use them for cannon fodder. A war of attrition. Because you want their land or you want their oil or you want their minerals. You want their stuff that's in the ground. That they're on the land. You want it? Move there. 
South Africa is one of the most mineral rich places in the entire uh, world. And there's all kind of wars going on to try to control the minerals that come out of South Africa. Well, then move there. What are you trying to control it? India, Pakistan. Do you, do you read it? It ain't all dope trade, ladies and gentlemen. Dope trade is just on the side. That's a smoke and mirrors. You look at the poppy seeds and the poppy fields and all that other stuff. It's the stuff under the ground, the oil, the water, the gold, the minerals, the stargates. They want to control it. He who controls that controls the world. <laughs> Wait till he comes, he'll control the world. Amen. Here's the last mystery for you right here that I'll give you tonight anyway. Uh, this is the mystery of iniquity. Look in uh, chapter 2, verse number 7. Oh, let's see, make it 6. Second Thessalonians, we were here this morning, verse number 6. And now you know what withholded that he might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. That mystery of iniquity right there is the, the Antichrist. In the book of Daniel, that mystery uh, that is referred to in the book of Daniel, he has a, a, a white tummy. That's Japheth. Uh, and he has a yellow-brown skin. That's Shem. And he has black spots. That's Ham. Ham. That's Ham. That's all three races. He's a mixture. He has uh, feet like a bear. He moves like a communist. You're moving in that direction right now, whether you want to believe it or not. They're interested in controlling you and making sure that they control how you spend, when you spend, the way you do with stuff and all that. They're interested in doing that. You talk to people from other countries, they'll tell you they already see the drums rolling and the, the troops marching. They know where you're headed. I hope it doesn't happen. Not anytime soon. But they want to control that thing as a, a, a mouth like a lion speaks English. The United States is not always going to be where it is now. You say, why? Because sin against God. God will let you take the things that you worship. Money, sex, and education. Right. And He'll let those things damn you. He'll put them around your neck and drown your country with it. Yeah. And not think anything of it. Well, preacher, what about me? You better pray and be in fellowship with the Lord because I can't guarantee you there's any shielding from that. Do your best to prepare. I didn't say don't prepare. You know, lay it up for the rainy day. Okay, that's fine. No problem. There's no guarantee if it's not going to be worth anything. If it all were to break loose that way, I'm praying that it'll hold on to the rapture. But I'm praying for the rapture sooner than some of you. I'm hoping I don't hit 80. I don't want to hit 70. That means you've got two years. Well, we hope you die first because we don't want the rapture to happen. Preacher made 69 and a half and he kicked off. His rapture's happened for him, you know. Okay, well, the, the bottom line is I hope the rapture happens before all that takes place. But those are seven mysteries that are there that you need to be familiar with. And these preachers will work that if you listen close enough. You'll hear them work it through in their messages. And it's important for you to get it. They're being good stewards. Well, it's just a retread and all that. Good. Repetition's the greatest form of education. That's the best way to learn. You ever have a, a hard time memorizing Scripture? You want to learn a way to do it? Repeat it until you get it. You don't pick it up just reading it. 
I've told you before, I read it, I follow it with my finger, I listen to myself saying it, and I hear myself saying it. You say, what is that? I'm engaging every sense I can. I'm engaging my eyes, I'm engaging my sense of touch, I'm engaging my ability to speak, and I'm engaging my ability to hear. I figure I got a, four, a, a better shot at remembering that if I do it that way than if I just sit and read it alone. I can't make my mind stay on it. Not anymore. It wanders. You ever get ready to pray unless you're in a real, real twist or something? You ever get ready to pray? And the second you get ready to pray, it's like everything you need to do in the day comes out. <laughs> Morning's not a great time for me to pray. I need to pray in the morning. Best time for me to pray is, and after this morning, and I told you about this already, at nighttime, I'm closing out my evening prayer time instead of making my laundry list to just go through the day and thank the Lord and then go to sleep. I'll put my laundry list out in the morning when there's all kind of confusion because probably what I'm saying doesn't amount to a roll pins anyway. But at nighttime, I'm making that his time. And I'm just saying, Lord, I sure appreciate it. I made it through the day without getting killed. And I made it through the day without having a wreck. And I made it through the day with a good meal. And I sure appreciate the fellowship with my wife and appreciate my congregation of people. And I sure do appreciate it. I bet you I'm going to try it again tonight. Last night I started down that list. And I don't remember at what point on that list I fell asleep. I have never fallen asleep when I'm making my laundry list of things I want. It's like I get, it's like all of a sudden I got bored with telling him thank you. <laughs> Man, I went to sleep. I didn't wake up till 4 o'clock, 4.15, I guess. Slept pretty good. You say, what was that? I don't know. Maybe the Lord said, okay, good. I'll give you, I'll give you something you didn't even ask for. How about a good night's sleep? Man, I feel like I could go bear hunting with a switch right now. You say, what is that? There's a Lord. All right, let's stand together and be dismissed. Thank you for staying over a little bit. I did pretty good, right? Six o'clock. It's not too bad. That's precious. Where'd Brother Ross? Is he already ducked out here somewhere? Ross, how about you, if you would please uh, dismiss us in prayer, would you please?